0: Welcome back to the DealMakers podcast show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sankaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to Sen.ai forward slash dealmakers1 and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So excited today with the founder that we have. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, exiting, exiting positively, exiting, you know, maybe not so positively, perhaps with some lessons learned. And then also being on the other side of the table, making investments, seeing, you know, getting that pattern recognition of founders that have what it takes, maybe the ones that don't have what it takes, and really placing bets. Uh, But without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. Socrates, Papa Papafloratos, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you. So originally, originally born in Greece. So uh, let's do a little bit of a walk through memory lane. So how was life growing up in Greece?
1: Life in Greece was, was beautiful, man. Uh, it was, I grew up in Thessaloniki in Greece, which is the second city. Uh, it's by the water. We had a holiday place very close to the city where I spent three months every year and actually even time during the year doing all sorts of fun, adventurous things out in the water or in the mountains. It was great. It was fantastic.
0: So at what point do you really get into solving problems and the whole engineering you know, mindset and stuff like that?
1: The, the plan that I had was, for me, clearly formed, uh, if you like, when I was... A teenager when I was about 15 years old um, and this kind of okay it sounds in hindsight uh, <laughs> sort of you know a bit crazy but my uh, I was really fascinated about how technology was changing the world and my plan and ambition was to really understand and, and, and study engineering understand uh, especially telecoms and mobile engineering that was the thing that was really interested um, when I was you know back then study, go abroad, go to the UK, um, get some experience, then start my own business and be really successful and do that by the time I was 30. And actually, as it turns out, I, I mapped out that, that course pretty well, you know, it's the whole, like, I want to go from A to B with a million other kind of, uh, paths and permutations, uh, along the way. And it turns out that's kind of how things, uh, played out so it was kind of I, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs I didn't really sell you know I didn't have a paper routing or lemonade stand business when I was a kid but I, I had a very clear drive uh and ambition of what I
0: wanted to achieve um, not really sure why or how but it, it, it was there now in your case you know instead of really going at it as an entrepreneur right away after your studies right because you studied in 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 York then you went to London but instead of really going for it, what you did is you did a little bit of corporate, right? So you did the corporate route, you did Vodafone, Quaker. So so what do you think, you know, like what, what what do you think you took a little bit of time before uh really becoming an entrepreneur? What what was there for you?
1: You know, it was um it was a sense of uncertainty, it was a sense of kind of not being quite quite ready. Um it was, you know, Greek family. That engineering get a job kind of pressure thing, but I, I I mostly joke about that. I wanted first to to learn a few things um, i didn't feel like I had enough experience um, coming straight out of university looking back, I was full of energy, completely you know um, oblivious to things like risks things that you couldn 't do, but at the same time you know Vodafone was a great school. I learned things there in um, the three, four years that I was there at the time that I still use to this day. I met some great people. My first investor in my next company was the CTO of Vodafone UK, who I did an internship for, for for six months. I saw what it take to really drive people and drive teams of people and how you can make change even in those, those large organizations. Uh, I understood the thing that stood out for me at the time there was the kind of disproportionate exponential impact that a tiny number of people have in a team and in an organization especially in a large organization like like Vodafone but also, I also just picked up a, a bunch of like really useful things that um that served me well in in everything I've done uh since then and the next step to go to to quicker was kind of um uh, that next transition this was in in 2005 that i got the job there and that was a startup that had uh, just raised their series i think they called it the series f or something like that they had just raised money from sequoia now in 2005 i had to go google what sequoia was what the vc was who sequoia were i didn't really know hardly anything about the space right and then i was like okay uh, this is pretty good this can either go one way and it's going to be really successful or it might go another way and i'm just going to learn uh, a ton but the main thing that the the time there did was like it, it sort of took apart a little bit the myth of the founder and the entrepreneur because again back then you don't have this celebration of entrepreneurship and all this kind of amazing content from like you put together for example you create so that you can really get close to what the founder does, what kind of person that, you know, that mythical creature is. So then when I met Sol, who is like supremely talented, super, you know, he's very smart, Stanford engineering graduate, had raised money from Sequoia. But then you meet that guy and it's just a guy with that happens to be smart, pragmatic, and has the energy and the drive to make something happen and create something. And that was like a big teaching moment where like okay cool this thing is hard but it's not like you know it's impossible uh, this guy can do it he's okay uh, but he's not like orders of magnitude better smarter uh than i am so
0: i can actually i can do what i was planning i wanted to do so then in this case trusted places so how did you come up with the with the concept you know and 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 what really Allowed you to be at ease with uh, taking the leap of faith and saying no to corporate and and, and building your own destiny? So let me answer the the last part of the question first.
1: So at the time, I was uh, 26 and I had about three options. One was to do an MBA. The other one was to... Continue. Uh, this is actually the, the, the decision to do Trusted Place. It's a little bit connected also with the decision to leave Vodafone and join quicker, right? Vodafone, I was I had an opportunity to join their global leadership program. Um, and that kind of, I have a good friend who did that. And he's now like 20 years on uh, a very, very successful, very, very senior exec in Vodafone. I had that path. I had the path of doing an MBA, or had the path of actually leaving all that and joining a company that had one other person in London and doing something completely different. And I chose that path because I knew that what I really wanted to do was start my own company. So I thought, okay, I learned a lot at Vodafone. Why don't I actually get some experience of what smaller company, how it works, and what what that's all about? So that's kind of the path that that I took, and the decision was was not difficult because again. I had saved some money at the time. Um, my parents were supportive. I borrowed some money. When I say some money, um, we're talking about fifty thousand pounds in total, mostly my savings and a small amount that, like, I think it was ten or fifteen thousand that I actually borrowed from from my parents. And I could spend that money. And again, I, I I weighed things up. Right, it was the cost of doing an MBA or starting a business. And again, I thought if it doesn't work out, I will learn more than just going to school, which is not really how I like to spend my time. And the downside for me was very limited. When you are at that point, there's not many things that can really go wrong unless you screw up something in a big way or something, uh, something that damages you. So that's how I made the decision. The idea was a very natural idea. So Trusted Places was a business that it combined user-generated content with a classifieds model. So we asked you to review and rate and actually create points around your city for the places that you went to eat, to drink, to the businesses that you used. So it, it was very much like local discovery through the people that live in that city. And then the business was a classifieds model where we helped local businesses advertise, reach richer local audience. And then places like uh, businesses that let you book restaurants and order takeaway. And we had like affiliate relationships with with those. So it was a fairly simple business, but uh, difficult to build uh, and
0: scale, especially back in 2006. Now, you guys, uh, fir- first first company, first exit. So, I mean, at least, you know, it was uh, a good outcome. So how was that for you to be able to really see that full cycle of um, of going from the beginning all the way to the end?
1: That was, man, that was a, a character building for years. Uh, I can tell you that it was five years, actually, in, in total. So that business we started, it took off really well. Um, we, again, at the time, we <laughs> it was such a quaint startup scene in, in London, right? I remember being in a, at an event. We didn't know anyone, uh, myself and my co-founder. So we just had to go out there and Every event, every drinks, every networking, every conference, we would just turn up and try to meet as many people as we as we could. We met our first investor, like real investor. So the the first people that backed us like, I put some money in. The first thing I did, I went and spoke to the Vodafone CTO that I did my six month internal internship at. And then a Finnish friend of mine that was also kind of doing his own thing, having moved in uh, in the Bay Area in, in in California, and that gave us that kind of initial seed capital that was, I think, close to, hundred thousand pounds or something like that, so we could get going. But then the real institutional, the first institutional investor, we just met by speaking to somebody at an event. Um, we didn't know him; he didn't know us. Back then, people thought that. Um, I remember somebody standing up at an event where you pass the mic around and make a crazy prediction about the future. That person stood up and said that I think Facebook is gonna be worth four billion dollars one day, and everybody laughed because the world was just kind of very, very, very different, even though we're talking about only fifteen years ago so yeah we we started we we kind of just went after it um, we found some. Initial traction. Then we found, you know, that monetization was a completely different beast. We had to crack that. The lowest point in that company's trajectory was we ran out of cash so hard that our overdraft had finished, and the check that I had sent to pay our commitments to our VAT commitments bounced. That was like the lowest it it got, right? but what got us through that was the fact that i was working on a b2b like white label deal i knew that our traffic was growing um i knew that we were navigating the market and how things were changing quite well so i knew that we would we would pull through we also went to raise money in september 2008 is when we kicked off our uh, our funding round at that time which was not a good time to be going out to, to raise money, if you can remember. But despite we we navigated that, started growing again, took the company to profitability, found ourselves in a place that where we could control our destiny, raised some more money at that point. And eventually found um, an excellent exit and an acquisition by Yale Group, which is was at the time the biggest classifieds company in the world, the Yellow Pages kind of company here in the UK, with some assets in the US and in Latin America as well. And at the time I knew that um, you could see how the structure of that market was changing. You could see how Google would really own a lot more of that customer journey and not just be content by passing away that first click your kind of organic search results. And I knew at the time that either you needed to raise significant capital in the hundreds of millions to build the, the company that you needed to build there, or you are much better off in partnering with a bigger player and doing it at that point. So we managed to do that and get a, a great return for our investors, a great return for me as my first business. It's the thing that kind of allowed me to do the things that I did
0: after that. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a great, great four-year journey. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So that was a uh, first company, first exit. And then obviously, as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. We're going to be talking about what you guys are doing right now. But before doing that, you know, once this exit happened with uh, Trusted Places, you went and you started your next company, you know, after doing that vesting and, and resting, as they call it, with Yale, you know, who acquired your business. You then went at it again with Together. and uh, here Unfortunately, the outcome was not, you know, the desired one. So, as they say, you either succeed or you learn. So, what did you learn here with the journey with Togethera? So, what
1: I learned there was the the kind of the power of um, that you can have to convince others, but also to convince yourself, and the the denial that sometimes founders can can find themselves living in. So, what we did with with Togethera, we The the conviction that we had was the right one, right? And that conviction was... So let me... Like the product there was um, a mobile app that let you... So it's actually not a mobile app. It was a cross-functional product that worked on mobile and web that let you share photos, videos, and messages with the people closest to you in absolute privacy. So we built one of the first... and one, I believe one of the best experiences when it came to getting your family around a really nice timeline where you could share moments, create groups for your, um, your, your friends as well, and do that in a way that had no clutter, no advertising. The enemy, in quotation marks, that we were after, that we're fighting, was Facebook, right? And there were very good reasons to take Facebook on and to believe that we could win. What we lost sight of was messaging, and WhatsApp, and also what I could not appreciate, but I felt very uh, deeply as a competitor very quickly was the power of compound growth and exponential growth. So when we looked at WhatsApp at the time, it had 50 million users. So we're like, okay, you know what? There's a few billion people on the internet, um, billions of families, WhatsApp is a messaging app, Facebook is massive, that's who we're after. And then within about, I don't know, 18 months or something like that, and my numbers here are probably wrong in the timeline, Facebook, uh, WhatsApp had 800 million users and everybody's family was on a messaging app, right? And at that point, you need to have the uh, maturity to know there's no way I'm going to win this battle, this, this this game, right? I've lost here. But... We were led along by a bunch of false positives that we had, and we were led along by the emotional connection that we had with the product. So what I mean by that, we had hundreds of thousands of users. We had constant uh, showering praise and feedback and direct emails, reviews of how much people loved the product. We loved the product because we used it with our families. Our friends loved the product. But really... We, you could very clearly tell there, right, that either you have an app that will grow exponentially into the hundreds of millions of users and you have a real valuable asset there that you may monetize at some point, but you will figure it out. So hundreds of thousands of users mean absolutely nothing. Or you have a product that you only monetize and it's a premium product. There's no free version of it. And I had a moment of clarity when we were trying to raise money, and we had a user who was one of our power users that is um, he's the son of a very, um, like his family has a family office and is the son of a very wealthy family. And I was speaking to him about pitching to him our round, right? And he was talking to me about the business model. And our business model was a freemium model that was about $1.99 per month for an extra set of features. And he was like, I love the product. I use it all the time. I was like, okay, are you on the premium version? He's like, no, 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 no. like, why? Well, I'm not going to pay for an app. I was like, okay, we have a problem here. If this guy that is worth a few hundred million is not going to pay 199 for an app to use that he already loves, we don't really have a business here. So um, we stayed with it longer than we should have had. We were quite stubborn. We gave it a really good go. I would not admit defeat. Um, so we kept going. <laughs> A year and a half longer than we should have, right? So we gave it three, three and a half good years. We gave it a really good go, learned a lot. We decided to spend the last three months of cash that we had building tools that would let people um, remove their content. We gave people about three months notice. We looked for a home for the business. We had actually higher offers at the time that wanted to acquire the team and the technology, but they wanted to kill the product. But, you know, life's too short. Um, We didn't want to do any of that stuff. So we just walked away. Everybody downloaded the content. We wrapped it neatly in a bow uh, without leaving any debt behind or any liabilities or any disgruntled customers and just, you know, rode along in the sunset.
0: Now, after this happened, you know, basically you spent uh, a few years, you know, really like testing stuff, doing things, even making investments. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but, you know, following here on the entrepreneurial, uh, course and, 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 and journey, you went at it and started again, you know, and that was, you know, essentially the company that you have right now going on, which is uh, quite a success, which is called NUMA. So, so how did the opportunity of NUMA come knocking and why did you think that it was the right one for you to take on and execute? So, you know, the, the opportunities, the, the come knocking,
1: but you also, you know, you go knock. You know, on, on them. Um, so, this uh, let me uh, explain what Newman is. Newman is a digital health platform focused on men. So, we give you the, the tools to take care of yourself, but we also give you a seamless, unified experience that spans diagnostics, prescribing, delivering medication, and having access to a team of doctors and pharmacists that can help you with alleviating symptoms for conditions that affect men's health but also understanding and addressing the root causes behind some of those symptoms so it's using technology and data to close experience gaps that exists that exist in healthcare and to bring health and well-being a lot closer together so we've been doing that for the last four years um, we do that here in the UK we have now served more than a quarter of a million men in our home market, and we have um, a, a lot more than that that engage with us. We're one of the leading consumer health brands in, in our category. We have very healthy economics behind the business, and we are in a market where it's it's a gigantic market. It's one that is still kind of one of the last places to be really changed by technology and data we have a very clear path to delivering value to the people that trust us, but then also you know, uh, having a commercial model that works with that, um, which means that we are in a, in a place that um, we can grow the team, scale the business in a way that kind of can be ambitious and intense, but make a lot of sense at the same time. And the kind of the seed, if you like, behind this idea, um, was kind of it's been with me since about 2012 this is about a year after i had uh so i had left uh, the acquire of my first business Uh, i spent a bunch of time back in greece um doing sailing building an outdoor basketball court that i always wanted to build you know myself for my life having fun chilling like doing all that stuff and also i spent about Four months in San Francisco in 2012, kind of meeting friends, uh, meeting investors, um, looking at kind of different opportunities. It was that time that I also got um, the opportunity to invest in count.com. But also at that point, I was really looking into how can we use technology and data to really optimize performance and outcomes and quality of life. And where I kind of, I couldn't figure out at the time was the go-to market in 2012, and I decided to do something that was uh, simpler with Together, right? And in 2000, so that one did not work out the way that I wanted it. Uh, I took, again, a bit of a break, came back to the U.S., spent a few months there, helped a friend with his business, and you could see straight after that, when I came back to Europe, how um, some of the models were beginning to emerge where you really see the go-to-market very clearly. And that was the time that I knew, okay, that's the go-to market. We can start the business from this point, which is like, we can start with sexual health and with hair. We can start acquiring customers and we can build a platform, we can raise money, and we can build that kind of broader proposition and vision around general kind of health that helps you be healthier, have more vitality, be more proactive about your health, not just focus on cure. On so that's kind of what was the, it was a trigger, but it was a trigger that kind of activated some thinking and some motivations that were there for for quite a while.
0: And in this case, how much capital have you guys raised so far for NUMA? So we've raised a total of $75 million. And this is now, you know, you've done multiple rodeos at this time and you've really seen, you know, what it takes, you know, uh, the type of value that investors also bring to the table. So how did you go about, Identifying those investors and then you know really getting them enrolled to 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 share this journey with you guys
1: so that's a, one of the things that I've done very differently in this uh in this business where I've focused on first of all I committed myself to going after a really big outcome with this business and I did that not just because it's something that obviously is 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 personally motivated actually it's not obviously but i am you know i'm at the point now in my life where uh, like you say i've i've been in a few rodeos there's only so many rodeos you can uh, you can get on so i i want this to be meaningful and i want this to be challenging and i want this to be bold and to go after something that has like real meaning real impact and and see how far we can actually take it right and the the goal and the ambition that we have for the business is really high And when you commit yourself to doing something like that, the way that you take it all the way back to the beginning means that you capitalize the business in the right way. Um, Again, right? the conditions that you need to have is a really big market, a really big opportunity, the right timing around that market. When that happens, you're not obviously the only one that is thinking about that. You have competition, you have now, especially tons of really motivated, talented people with access to capital as well. So you need to move quickly. You need to find the right investors. You need to commit to, the, to a shared vision. And that's kind of what I did. So we raised aggressively and a lot more earlier on in the business. The investors, I found them through friends, through people that I worked with uh, before, through people that we worked with together in the first few months of the business. And there are a lot of them investors that have made other investors in digital health, um, angels that have a connection with the space as well. So people that can add much more than just capital.
0: Now, in this case, imagine that you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of NUMA is fully realized. What does that world look like? That That world is a world where... Men
1: are drastically healthier. their quality of life is much better, especially when they're going through and exiting that middle of life um stage right middle of life is the kind of your from your forty to your sixties is that middle of life it's the point where you are at your most productive you are at your prime you have you you you're building in your professional sense the kind of the your your legacy and the thing that will have the biggest impact you have your family you're you're growing your family but it is also that stage of life where increasingly you have things like obesity and diabetes Um, you have um, a mental health pandemic that has only been you know accelerated with everything that's going on you have increased rates of suicide for men you have a lot of things that kind of not only just stop you from let's say being at your best, but in often cases they they put you on a path that can lead to premature avoidable death or disease later in life that can be debilitating and and very very costly to you and to the public health care system. What I want us to do and the the impact that I want us to have in the world is that the men that come to to us in their late 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, for us to be able to promise them and prove to them that we're going to put them on a trajectory that's going to have them being healthier, happier, and better throughout that
0: middle-of-stage life and beyond. That's, that's what I would want us to be. I love it. Now, imagine I put you in a time machine and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were building or thinking about maybe starting your first business, Trusted Places. And you had the opportunity of giving that younger Socrates one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be, and why, given what you know now? Wow, one piece of advice would be to take better care of yourself.
1: That would be the the advice right i've I did that <laughs> those four years. I remember somebody asking me like what's your favorite book at the time?" And it still is one of my favorite books, but it was um a, a Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which is written by Sholan and it talks about the day in the life of a guy in gulag in the forties, which is like really and when you start you you say this out loud, it's like, dude, you must have had like a difficult life. But what that speaks to is kind of stoicism and being able to really uh go through difficult things and find the the joy in the moments in in your life. But I did neglect my health at the time. I took on like extraordinary stress. I did not invest in my in my health, in my well-being, in my relationships really frankly. It was just, you know, a single-minded extreme focus on just that. And you know what? I don't think to be honest, um I was more productive or or anything like that. Um I just kind of that's how I was at the time. So yeah I, I would advise that to um, to anyone uh, in that point to invest in those kind of foundations for your health your body and your mind back then amazing
0: now for the people that are listening socrates what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi
1: they can email me directly it's my first name at newman.com. that's probably the the best way uh, they can find me on linkedin uh, and send me a message there as well
0: amazing well, socrates thank you so much for being on the deal maker show today
1: Alejandro, thank you for having me. I've been a fan for a long time, so it's, it's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to, to be on it.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,